First of all, I would like to thank by expressing my appreciation for the invitation to attend this uh, EA Global. It's my second event, and it's really been sort of great to see the growth of this movement and the sort of kind of people that it brings together. And, uh, and I'm really sort of happy and honored and privileged to be addressing you here today. However, I think I'm afraid I have to start with sort of a, not an apology, but at least a, a, a confession of sorts, maybe even two. Um, the first one is that the title of my presentation is a ruse. It's a ploy. Uh, I'm not going to give you tips or hands-on advice on how to be amazingly effective in the world of policymaking. Uh, I think... Um, it's probably country-specific anyway, and I'm happy to discuss it in the Q&A and during my office hour in half an hour after my talk. Um, but I, it's a ruse for a good purpose. I have a bigger fish to fry, and I hope and almost semi-promise that I will get to the point that you probably were expecting at the very end of my talk. The second confession is this. Uh, it's not aspirational like I have a dream. It's more a bit of a letdown like I used to believe, but I think it's still powerful and important and something that deserves our consideration. Because what I used to believe is that we can bypass the problems of state-centric governance and devise working solutions to the pressing problems of our age, including that of the future. And uh, and I was an optimist for quite some time. I thought that, and I think I was seeing through my own scholarship and reading a lot of IR literature, that the power was diffusing. It was going away from the states and the sort of the formal old structures. But it wasn't clearly going necessarily anywhere, at least at first. And it gave me this hope that we could sort of build different forms of new regulation, spontaneous orders, and social movements like effective altruism to generate order, to generate the positive outcomes that we need. And for me, for quite some time, the world seemed to wash with feasible alternatives. But unfortunately, I do not fully believe this to be the case anymore. And the reason is that the change we need and so desperately require, it simply doesn't come fast enough. I mean, we see the paralysis of existing forms of governance to a certain extent, and I will get say a few words about that. But we are not seeing massively and sufficiently effective forms of new governance coming instead. And the clock is unfortunately ticking. Yet, quitting is not an option. The stakes are simply too high. We have been talking about these new issues, new problems, new forms of uh, threats, X-risks, catastrophic risks. We have talk, been talking about climate change and so on and so forth. And these are all things that desperately require our attention and creative working solutions. And actually, what I, the, the, the sort of the conclusion that I have drawn from all of this past five years working for the government and witnessing sort of international cooperation firsthand and the attempts, however feeble and at times fallible, in terms of developing international governance, 
is that we actually have a massive amount of existing structures and mechanisms and things in place that we need to put to a much better place. So basically, even though I used to believe something that was aspirational and I think is still worth our consideration or working towards, I'm more convinced, at least for the time being, that we actually also have to steer some of our energies into getting things done here and now using the mechanisms and levers we already have in place. And this means engaging many of the sort of the structures that perhaps you, through your own work, feel a certain level of aversion or distrust towards. And what I want to try to do here today is to make a case and argue that perhaps some of these things deserve a second thought and more importantly deserve the kind of input that only people like you can give into these mechanisms and these forms of cooperation. But what ails us then? What is the problem, what is the problem and what is the issue that is sort of bringing us down and, and uh, keeping us from hampering, or keeping us from uh, achieving the kind of results that we so badly need? Well, this is the bit of good news that I have. Leaders that I have met, and I have, met, I, have had, I have actually met quite a few during my career, are, on average, both intelligent and ethically high level. Not all of them, without naming any names. <laughs> Absolutely not naming any names. But intelligent and ethically high level. I'm fully convinced that they genuinely want to make the world a better place. This is the sort of feeling that I've gotten from... Uh, for watching leaders in action from basically all corners of the earth. This is one thing that clearly is common to all of these things. These kind of basic capabilities and aspirations are actually the ones that have motivated them into entering the game of politics and to become policymakers or even political leaders. Yet they keep making decisions that are detrimental to our long-term well-being. And this is a clear paradox. Why are we not getting the kind of results that we would like to have and need to have, even though, on principle at least, the people are of the right caliber and quality and have the sort of the best interests of their nations, but also the humanity at their heart? Well, this is a 20-minute talk. What I'm going to go through next is a seminar series like lasting for six months, but I'll try to give a quick run through some of the problems of our, in particular, Western liberal democracies. These leaders are, to a large degree, constrained by, constrained by vested interests. There are all kinds of interest groups, industries, trade unions, all kinds of... Uh, peoples with their specific needs and their vested interests that are working very hard and at cross-purposes uh, to retain or enhance these very sectoral-specific interests. And by doing so, they, in effect, create policy paralysis, incompatible agendas, and create very difficult situations for political leaders who, in the final analysis, are always looking for re-election, which is another uh, sort of... a factor that challenges this system. This results in short-termism, overall erosion of our democratic systems, which is visible in many of our countries of today. We are living in a world that equates leadership with populism, 
where leaders are basically at times putting out, or most of the time putting out their antennae, looking at and trying to sort of listen to the signals from the electorate, what they want, what are these sort of vested special interests that they should cater to, instead of providing us with long-term thinking and solutions. This is compounded with information overload, which I can testify as a former uh, civil servant, is massive in terms of in the policy-making circles that further often encourages presentist thinking and easy and or quick solutions. And this is really a, a, a big round of problems facing anyone who is interested in making a sort of a positive difference in the world of policy-making. And this is something that anyone working in this world will encounter one way or another. But on top of this, there's another, an additional factor which I think is very important and which should force us to perhaps reconsider our own position concerning politics and our political systems. I think we as citizens are letting our politicians and political systems down. We are expecting less and less. We are demanding less and less in terms of good outcomes from these um, systems. And as a consequence, we are getting less and less of good outcomes from these systems. And actually, this erosion of trust in our institutions to a degree uh, richly deserved, but at the same time becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that is eroding our capacity for national decision-making, national politics, and also sensible international politics at the same time. So this is an area of, of diminishing returns that we have entered into, which is feeding back into this further disillusionment on the part of the population and also feeding into populist politics, which seems to be offering easy sound bites and easy victories for people who are fed up with the business as usual. And I will get, to get back to this notion of business as usual in a little while. So what I'm advocating here today is that politics and policy making actually would benefit from interaction and from more participation from individuals like effective altruists. And I will make the case in the very final slide why I think this is so, although I'm quite sure that this is not a message that most of you necessarily are very happy or excited about. But you don't have to go all the way in order to make a difference. You can devise different strategies of how to go about making or effecting change in existing policies if you are interested in, in effecting this uh, political game and this um, uh, making of, of policies on the national or international level. And the first strategy I call mix with the animals, and you can think who these animals might be. Uh, I think the world is full of opportunities for a person who is interested in effecting change from within the system. And in this respect, there are good news, because leaders that I've been describing are always on the lookout for the next big idea. They are sort of intellectually curious. They are looking for solutions to pre-existing problems. And they are also looking for new framings of problems and issues and solutions that they are not aware of. So this actually opens up a pretty lucrative and promising market for knowledgeable and talented individuals to become and act as advisors or external consultants to government. And this is a position that I have been over my career and I have found it fruitful and rewarding and I'm happy to share my experiences later on, perhaps during the office hour, how to go about uh, 
providing and, uh, and, and offering these services and, and what is entailed and included in these kind of things. But it is not the only way how to go about these things. Another important facet or group of individuals in policy making that are not policy decision makers per se is the role of civil servants who play at times a key role in planning and executing policies. And there is also the opportunity of becoming one yourself. Think about entering bureaucracies through whatever the national processes might be or, or, or international bureaucracies. There are a lot of those as well that develop a lot of policy responses that, that have a forward-oriented uh, leaning in their work and which will give you a lot of opportunities to also produce policy outcomes that you are interested in. But this is an important point and a caveat. But please be aware that if you play this kind of mix with the animal strategy, you are always acting in a subservient role to power. And this always has its own limits. Because in the final analysis, the major change we need and the major decisions that will be taken will not be taken by bureaucrats or advisors or consultants, but they are actually taken by politicians, elected officials and so on and so forth. The sort of the leaders who in the final analysis weigh in the different options, different sort of opportunities and different costs. And therefore, even though I think this strategy number one, and it is the one that I have played myself for, for probably for um, very good reasons. I think I would be an awful politician, to be honest. Um, and I can even answer that question later on in the day and perhaps in the evening. Uh, but, uh, but I've also come to see the limits of these kind of roles through exercising the kind of power, even at the, at the fairly fairly senior level that I have been working during my own career. And this question of seniority is indeed a worthy consideration for young, young uh, experts and, and young professionals such as you are, because I think the bad news in following this route is, is this one. Uh, 80,000 hours is a very long time. And uh, sort of climbing the, the greasy pole of of, of becoming a very effective and, and very senior civil servant advisor and so on and so forth, in most cases probably take a very long time. And this would seem to dictate against the question of time, which I was referring to earlier on. So thinking that we could somehow make the radical change we require take place through this route alone is probably not correct thinking because we most probably will not have the time to make sure that we have all the right and sensible people in all the right and crucial positions to start making and effecting the change that we need. So although I think this is a worthy route to follow, it is very important and probably very impactful in many respects, it is probably not sufficient in terms of achieving the kind of change that we need. which has led me thinking about this. Um, and I would be happy to hear your views about what you make about this one. So the starting point is basically what I have already been saying. 
is that the change we need is unlikely to materialize from within, within the current political structures and the modus operandi, be it our national political systems or the systems of international governance. And I have alluded to the problems already previously. To my mind, the imperative thing that needs to change is our very political culture. Less short-term thinking, more long-term thinking, sort of less egotistical values and, and sort of even sort of uh, nationalists, narrow-minded thinking, more cosmopolitan thinking, more appreciating and accepting the fact that we are increasingly starting to operate on the level of humanity with our policies and our effects and our sort of unintended consequences without actually having the sort of political institutions necessary to deal with many of these issues for the moment. And probably not fully being able to build those institutions at least very quickly or, or uncontroversially. So we need a change in our political culture and I think this is a change that can only come from the bottom up because this other system, this existing political culture and our existing political leaders will most probably not be able to deliver on this kind of change. The good news is that to my mind the world, or at least significant parts of it, are ready for quick political changes. We have seen this for better or for ill. Uh, we saw the rapid rise of Mr. Trump from basically from an unelectable candidate to, to the President of the United States of America who has been able to take over also the Republican Party. I'm not saying this is a particularly positive or happy example necessarily, but it is an example how quick political changes are possible in even massively big and, and sort of well-stratified political systems such as the United States. Another probably more hopeful and positive example is the president of France, Macron, who came from sort of similar obscurity very quickly, creating a political platform and sweeping the whole French political system in the process. So I think this sort of uh, potential is there. People are fed up with the business as usual. They are looking for alternatives. And my concern is that right now many of these alternatives are not coming from a particularly happy or optimistic place. It, it is coming from xenophobic, uh, populist, narrow-minded circles in many places who want to turn the clock back at exactly the time when we need new thinking, new forms of cooperation, new forms of governance. So not only are they sort of potentially squandering our ability to move forward, but they are actually aggressively and very determinedly trying to, to turn the clock back into the yesteryear. And this is clearly something that we simply cannot afford. So what we need is people, new ideas, new movements that can steer these energies that are there into a direction that is conducive to positive changes in the world, that can articulate aspirational and positive visions that people will want to flock to, vote for, and work for in order to achieve the change that we need. And I simply cannot think of many more positive signposts to humanity than the EA movement. I mean, your principles, your thinking, I think is exactly the recipe for the day. And this is something that we all, I think, interested in the future well-being of humanity and 
human beings and, and, and the life on this planet will have to work very hard to uh, project and to make it grow and to get new followers and to make it an actionable program in our lives and in our political systems. So I'm at the end of that time, so it's probably worth clarifying what I'm not proposing here today. I'm not proposing turning effective altruism into a political movement. I think you are perfect the way you are. And I do not say that you should change in this way and take that kind of route. But I think this is a piece of particularly wonderful and exciting software. And we have a very robust and very powerful and effective piece of hardware, which is our states, our national bureaucracies, our forms of international governance, and so on and so forth. So what I would like to see and what I think needs to, be, needs to take place is that this particular piece of software is inserted into this particular piece of hardware. And I don't see any a priori mismatch or incompatibility here, no need for hostility or aversion between these two worlds. On the contrary, I think this particular piece of hardware would benefit immensely from interacting much more with the software that you have to offer. So in order to answer my question how to be more effective in the world of policymaking, is that I think some effective altruists or at least some people leaning into this particular intellectual direction would have to become politicians and political leaders. And I think this is called for. So I thank you for your patience and this invitation. Thank you.